welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. This is episode number 387, and our guest today is Brent. He tells a story about an Arizona elk tag that he unexpectedly drew, and then the process that he went through leading up to that hunt, including why he ultimately chose to go guided for this hunt. If you've been listening to the podcast for a long time, you know that most of our personal hunts that we do, in fact, all of them, except where mandatory, have been do-it-yourself hunts. We don't go on many guided hunts. We haven't spoken with many listeners who have gone on guided hunts. We have spoken with some guides about the benefits of going guided and things like that. But I thought that this episode was a great example of speaking with an everyday hunter, uh, one of you guys who considered going guided and ultimately why he chose to go that route for this hunt, how it helped him on the hunt, what his guided hunting experience was like, and much more. So this is a great conversation with Brent about a fun hunt that, whether you're just in it for the hunting story or want to learn more maybe about the pros and cons, the benefits of going guided, there's certainly some takeaways in here as well for you. As always, guys, we appreciate you tuning in. If you have any questions or feedback for us, send an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com or look for the link in the show description that says leave a message. Hit pause and do that now if something comes to mind. Otherwise, let's dive right into this conversation with Brent. Yeah, so Brent, if we can just start with a, a quick introduction so that listeners kind of know just a little bit about you, where you're from, kind of context on whether that's personal background or hunting background, and then we'll dive in and talk about this fall. Yeah, I uh, my name is Brent. Uh, I live in Southwest Idaho. I've spent pretty much my whole life right here in Southwest Idaho in Eastern Oregon. I uh, grew up in Boise. I'm actually not too far from where the XO shop is now. Uh, and uh, let's see, started hunting when I was about 13. Uh, at that, back then, I think Idaho allowed you to start to hunt when you were 12. Um, I think I got my license when I was about 13. Uh, my dad was not much of a hunter, but we did some uh, upland game hunting. Uh, and I had a cousin that was really into waterfowl hunting is just a few years older than me. So he would drag me along with him. And, and, uh, so got me into waterfowl hunting. Um, of course did that till, you know, when I got a driver's license and could take myself out and me and my buddies would go out and, and hunt ducks whenever, whenever we could. Um, so I got, uh, into college, started trying to big game hunt a little bit. Um, uh, didn't have much mentorship for that. Um, and of course, back then there was no such thing as the internet or podcasts or anything. So what I learned was from field and stream magazine and outdoor life. And, and, uh, the learning curve was flat and long. Um, but slowly over the years got a little better at it and started having some success. And, and, uh, so now here, here I am at this point trying to do more and more of it. That's great. So a hunt this fall, you drew an Arizona bull tag. Correct. That, uh, that was unexpected. So tell us a little bit about like where you were in terms of Arizona system and, you know, what it was like to draw this tag really. Um, so I, yeah, a few years ago, um, as I got ready to retire, I started, um, thinking more and more about, you know, hunting other States. Um, I'd already been hunting Oregon cause I live, I'd lived in Oregon. So I, I got used to hunting in Oregon and Idaho. And then I had a friend in Montana and I would go over and, and hunt deer antelope with him. Um, so I started a few, a few years ago, decided I wanted to to try some other states and 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 dove into the points game um, and started adding a state here and there over the years and and I think two years ago I decided I would try adding Arizona into the mix and and bought 
um, bought points that first year. Um, then last spring decided instead of just buying points, I would go ahead and, and, and apply. Uh, it costs the same whether you just buy points or whether uh, or, or apply. And so I thought I'd give it a try. And I, so I did a little bit of research and picked some, some elk hunts and put my application in and kind of forgot about it. Um, about a month after that, so I think the beginning of March last spring, um, I looked, was looking on the internet or social media and, and somebody had posted on there that, that Arizona Game and Fish had, had hit their credit card for, for a tag fee and, and that everybody should check their credit card. And, and I didn't think too much of it because the hunts that I put in for, I think the odds of me drawing were less than 2%. Uh, so I was pretty sure I wasn't, you know, going to get that tag. Uh, but later that morning I checked and sure enough, Arizona had hit my credit card and had to log out of my account and bring it back up to make sure that it was real. <laughs> and, and, uh, and came to the realization that I, I'd drawn the tag and, and immediately started, uh, started planning, you know, how was I going to make this happen? Um, and, it kind of went from there. So, so yeah, it was a, it was a big surprise. Um, I, I was, uh, not hadn't thought much about it beyond just the application process. So. And this was roughly March when you found out. Yeah. I think the big, right at the beginning of March is when Arizona, um, charged credit cards, but then it was a, a couple of weeks, maybe a week or two weeks later that they actually notified me. But, by the time I got the notification, it, it was, you know, through talking to, to other people and that I, I was sure that I'd drawn the tag. So, so you got, you draw this tag. It's like you said, you kind of applied, didn't think much about it. You're essentially in this point and application process, thinking ahead for future years. Right. And all of a sudden it's, Oh shoot, this is this year. This is real. Skipping ahead. You decided to go guided on this hunt. I did. Yes. Talk about maybe how quickly that decision was made or because uh, I'm unfamiliar. I know you considered going DIY. And as you said before, you have hunting experience. But I guess right. at what point did you decide to go guided and what was the primary reason for doing so? I, I decided fairly quickly, you know, within a, within a couple of weeks, probably, uh, to go guided. And, um, initially when I, when I found out I had the tag, uh, it was, I was planning on, on do it yourself. Um, and I, I do have a, a fair amount of, of big game hunting experience and Western big game hunting experience. So I was comfortable with that. Um, the, the, the logistics of getting there and, and doing some, you know, boots on the ground scouting, uh, was a little bit of a challenge, but since I am pretty much retired, I figured I, I could make a trip or two down there in the summer to kind of figure out where I, where I needed to be and, and uh, you know, where I was going to camp and, and kind of learn the area. Um, it, what I, what I did, I guess, you know, I started doing some e-scouting and, and started to think about, okay, do I set up a, a tent down there? Do I pull my camp trailer down there? You know, what do I, how do I go about this? And I started having a, you know, a few people as I talked to them, you know, asking me if I was going to go guided. And, and at first it was like, no, I, I don't, I don't need to go guided. And, and but the more I thought about it and the more I kind of put the cost of, of going down there and scouting and, and, and that together, I thought, you know, it's, it's maybe not that much more expensive to go, with a guide. Um, and then it was about that time that you had put out an article, um, I think referencing your, your experiences in finding a guide for your, uh, goat hunt in Alaska. And so I read that, um, I think you had a, a podcast with, uh, is it Colton Heward? Yeah. Um, and he talked about, 
um, guided hunts and expectations and that. And so that kind of got me thinking, well, maybe I should at least look into it. Um, and started reaching out to people and asking for recommendations and that, uh, on guides and, and started researching it and, and ultimately decided, um, that it was probably the way to go. And one, because even though I drew this tag with, with two points, um, the chance of me drawing again anytime soon is probably not very good. Uh, and so this, this could be my one and only chance to hunt elk in Arizona. And I, and I wanted to make sure it was, um, that I gave myself the best opportunity. Um, so I, started uh researching outfitters and and found a couple that that looked pretty good had good uh recommendations um i liked you know when i talked to them uh use the advice from your article and and i and you may have had a po podcast that accompanied that article and um and then the the stuff that colton Heward talk, talked about too um to to interview these guys and ask and try to ask the right questions about how many did you kind of seriously kind of consider or look at for this area? I got down to two um, that I was probably the most that I really considered. Um, okay. There were there were maybe half a dozen that I that I checked with, um, but narrowed it down to two pretty quickly, um, and that was based on again, on, on talking to them and, uh, you know, just kind of getting a feel for them. And then, uh, and then talking to previous clients, at least for the, the outfitter that I used, I, I talked to three or four of their previous clients who, you know, all had nothing but, but good things to say. And, you know, the fun thing was you'd get one of these guys on the phone, uh, and, could spend an hour talking about their experience you know they were just yeah you know excited to share and and that so um when it came down to it uh the outfitter that i chose um a couple of reasons i i decided to go with them one they they set up a camp um whereas the other one i was going to be probably in a hotel in town uh, and I wanted, uh, you know, I've done a lot of camping and deer and elk camps and stuff. So that's not anything new to me, but I, I still wanted that to be part of the experience. You know, I didn't want to mm -hmm. go home after or back to a hotel at the end of the day and, and camp out in a, mo in a motel room until the next morning. So um, that was one of the reasons. Um, another reason is, is the two outfitters that I talked to would would both have let me um, bring a non-hunter. Uh, one was going to charge me, and the one that I didn't, or the one that I went with, didn't charge me. And they were the amount they were charging, or the one guy was going to charge for it was fairly nominal. It wasn't, you know, a make or break deal. But um, you know, his the outfitter's comment was, if you you know if you bring somebody that can glass and pack, I'm not going to charge him to eat some of my food. So. Uh, <laughs> So, so that was, that was another reason. Um, another comment that he made to me initially was that with all the guys in camp and all the guides in camp, they, they hunted together um, to make sure everybody was successful or at least had a chance to be successful. Uh, and I, I didn't quite understand that um, in the beginning. Uh, I understand it better now um, after going through it uh with them but um basically you know what he meant was that we're all kind of in this together um mm -hmm. and when he first said it to me my question was you know do you mean we all go up on the same knob at glass together you know all 10 or 12 of us or you know between hunters and guides and of course that wasn't what he meant but um so anyway that's those are kind of the big reasons why uh, uh, and and of course, the um, the references I got from guys that had previously hunted with him. Yeah, was this 
for any maybe the outfitter you decide to go with or any of them was hunting access a big factor in any decision where any of these guides saying hey i have the spot or you know we mostly hunt public but i also have access to this private or was there anything like that involved with any of these outfitters this unit is is uh is mostly public land and i can't remember the exact percentage um, but I think it approaches that 90% public land and and that was one of the reasons why I had applied in this unit to begin with was you know when I applied in the back of my mind I'm thinking if I go if I draw this tag I'm going to Arizona on my own I need to to have somewhere that that access is not going to be a um, an issue uh, so I, I applied in an area where there was a lot of, of uh, public land and so no the um, any special, you know, access to private ground wasn't, it wasn't in the uh, picture at all. In, in fact, um, there were some, some places we hunted where there were um, not only guys from our hunters from, from our camp, but there were other guided hunters. Uh, there were, there were hunters just, you know, doing it on, on their own. So, um, it was probably very similar to what you'd expect in, in like a general season elk hunt in Idaho, um, mm-hmm. for lack of a better description. Uh, in fact, the, the morning that I, that I killed my bull, uh, we ended up on top of a knob with another, uh, hunter and guide, uh, both, both glassing from that, that same spot. So, so, um, so yeah, we, we dealt with, uh, the public land, um, issues that, that we, you know, see during general seasons. Was there, what about going into the hunt? And the reason I'm asking now is cause I would imagine it could be part of the conversation and either what you're asking the outfitter, or maybe what they're asking you, but in terms of trophy expectations, um, you know, you mentioned this may be the only time you're hunting in Arizona. Were you, did you have a trophy kind of goal in mind, a certain caliber of bull? If you didn't, were the outfitters even asking you that? Like, what was that whole discussion like going into the trip? That was one of the questions I, I asked the outfitter uh, initially is, you know, what can, what should I expect? Um, and I think that's one of the things that um, Colton Heward talked about was, you know, make sure your expectations are reasonable for the tag you have. Um, so I, I asked the outfitter that, you know, right up front. And and he he said, you know, every year they kill some, some big ones, you know, some of those bulls in the 360, 370, 380 class, you know, bull. Um, and that you know, I might find one of those or I might find a 300 bull. Um, some of it depended on the weather in Arizona, whether whether or not they got um, a, a lot of moisture um, to pr- help promote, you know, good feed uh, and then antler growth for, for those bulls. Um, and, he, and at that point, of course, he said, you know, I, I really can't tell you what we're going to what we're going to see. Um, you know, just that that's kind of um, how it goes. And, and he said you that I could probably expect to find something in that 320 to 330 range, um, that that was a reasonable expectation. So um, I might find bigger, it might, it might end up being smaller. So I went into it with that, um, I guess, that mentality. Uh, you know, I would, uh, that if I could find something in that range, I, I would be happy. The other comment he made was, you know, that late season, um, you want to, that I would probably want to set my goal as finding a nice six point that is not broken off. That's just representative of, representative of, of the species. And so, um, so that's what I went into it looking for. Uh, and, and ultimately that's, that's what I ended up with, but, I um, uh, we did, we, two of the guys in camp shot uh, a couple of really good 
big bulls. Um, uh, another guy shot a one in that 340 or 350 uh, range. And uh, then another guy shot uh, a really, it was kind of a cool rack. Um, the tops of it were, were palmated almost like a caribou rack. Um, it was a, it was a good size rack, but it just had a lot of character. So it was kind of a, you know, a cool one to, um, to harvest. And, and I actually had a, had an opportunity to shoot at that bull, but, but was never able to take it. Cause all I, all I could ever see were the tops of his antlers and his back end. So after seeing it, it was, it was a really cool, cool elk. Um, I'm, I'm glad that I, that I didn't have the opportunity to shoot at him, I guess. So. <laughs> yeah. When you say other guys in camp, can you walk through that? What is that? You, this, t- as you said before, everybody's on a team, right? Like these, the yeah. outfitter, these guides, but how many hunters were kind of at one time? And then there were even logistically like back at quote unquote camp at night, are there you and all of the other hunters they're working with that week are there kind of, I'm very unfamiliar with how that was set up for you. There were six of us in six hunters in camp. Um, they had us sleeping in in uh, tents, and one guy towed his trailer to camp. Uh, so there were six hunters. Um, there were, and we came from. I mean, there was a guy from Montana, and and me from Idaho, and a guy from New Mexico, and one from Wisconsin, a guy from California, um, and a guy from Texas. So uh you know good group of guys uh then every every hunter had a guide uh that just spent the week with um one of the guides uh his wife was there and and guided right along with him and was really good at spotting elk um and then the the outfitter uh, who also acted as one of the guides for for one of the hunters his mom and stepdad were in the camp and, and cooked for everybody um, and super nice people and did a fantastic job. And so, so yeah, at the end of the day, um, we all kind of got back to camp and, and dinner was ready and you ate dinner kind of as everybody came in from, from wherever they'd been. Um, and of course, a couple of nights we'd been, we're spent packing elk out till, till well after dark. And, and so, uh, we might have got in a little bit um, later than than other days. Um, we were up at about three thirty every morning uh, and had breakfast and 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 took off, uh, you know, in our different directions. Sometimes we hunted really close to one another. Uh, other times we went uh, in complete different directions. Um, the opening opening morning uh the the outfitter had he had he had spotted a pretty good elk the the day before so uh, which was actually thanksgiving morning um and so he had spotted an elk kind of knew where he was living um and so the plan was that opening day so the friday after thanksgiving we were going to try to get this bull killed. Uh, so four of us and our guides took off and went on four different knobs to try to be able to spot this bull and get a shot at him. Um, and we, we went, uh, Will, the, the guy that I guide that I had, uh, he and I spotted the bull just almost right away. Um, but he's about 900 yards away. Uh, and, but coming our direction. Uh, so we, we thought that I might be able to get a shot at him. Um, he disappeared into the brush. And so about the next hour, uh, you know, we'd see antler tips every once in a while. And that was about it. Uh, one of the other guides had, could see him from where they were um, pretty well. But again, they were, they were 900 yards away too. Um, we ended up moving around to another spot, uh, where we thought we might be able to see him, uh, better. And, and I was closer. I was five or 600 yards. Um, so 
we ended up spending the entire day on this bull trying to get a shot. And finally, at the end of the day, um, he did present a shot to one of the other guys and they were, he was able to, to get a shot on him and, and got him killed. And that, that bull turned out to be a, he was a monster. Uh, when I had seen him first thing in the morning, I thought he was, but nobody was really talking about it. Um, but it turns out he, he was a big one. He, he was over 390, they thought, um, and like a six by seven, but just a super nice bull. Um, and um, so that, that the guy actually from Texas was able to, to get the shot on him. So, um, so that was really cool. Um, a, just a, an incredible bull to get to see and to get to be a part of that. Um, but this bull just, he was living probably in a, you know, hundred foot by hundred foot area. I mean, he just wasn't going anywhere. Um, so really hard to get, uh, get in a position to, to put a shot on that that morning that morning one of the other guys who had gone a different direction um also killed a bull that morning so that opening day we had two down and and uh so had a pretty good start to the to the hunt but did and those, that did those guys that tagged out early did they kind of stay around for the week or they kind of fill in a tag getting the meat taken care of and taken off they yeah they they stuck around for the next day um kind of taking care of their bulls uh and i think they both stuck around the day after they killed uh and left early the morning the third morning of the hunt so but those those guides that that the guides that they had um stuck around and helped everybody else for the the rest of the time um and that's 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 what the outfitter meant by you know, we hunt together, we make sure everybody yeah. has a, has an opportunity. So as, as the week went on, that became more and more apparent, but, uh, <laughs> but that was what he meant. So. Gotcha. So when you were, you were talking about setting up and you're 900 yards away and then you got a bit closer, I think you said five or 600, which is obviously still a ways. What, I guess a two part question. One is what was your effective range or what did you feel comfortable at? Comfortable at? I know that obviously it always depends on conditions of shooting position, wind, et cetera. And at the same time, was there any discussion about kind of typical shots or what to expect from the outfitters you were planning this hunt? Did he steer you to any certain like, Hey, make sure you're capable out to X distance type thing. Yeah. There, there was a little bit initially. um, When I initially talked to the outfitter in the spring, there was some, some talk that there'd be, there could be long shots, you know, five or 600 yards. Um, the, my guide and I had talked a little bit about what I was comfortable doing. Um, I, I was comfortable out to probably between six and seven. Um, I, when I found out I drew this tag, I bought a new rifle, um, put a new scope on it and set it up and got comfortable spent the entire summer shooting and getting comfortable out to that range and i was pretty comfortable one with the rifle i i um the rifle was really accurate uh and i was shooting it pretty well myself um so i was comfortable out to that range um i would much rather you know i would much prefer a four or 500 yard shot or, or much less obviously but um that 900 uh was not something i would have wanted to try at all sure. um they did have a long range gun set up um and i didn't have access to it that day they actually the guy that killed that bull shot shot that bull um with it but um but i had never shot this get this long range gun they had i wasn't familiar with it at all it just wasn't something i was um you know at that point i'd even even thought of so um when we got set up for the shot that we thought would be five or six hundred yards um i had a was up on a rim rock um had a good rest with a uh 
you know, with a bipod, uh, and some shooting bags, I, um, had spent a lot of time just sitting up there or laying up there and dry firing. I was pretty comfortable with, with where we thought that bull would come out if he did, um, which, you know, just didn't happen for me, but, but I was pretty comfortable with it there. Um, and that was, uh, part of choosing to go on a guided hunt. Uh, when I made that commitment, uh, then, then I had to, you know, back up and think a little bit, okay, what can I control in, in part of being, in being part of this hunt? I mean, obviously I'm not planning where to go. I'm not planning on, you know, what I need to bring for gear or food and all that stuff to set up a camp. That's all the outfitter and guide responsibility. So what can I control? And and the two things that, that I figured I had control over were, uh, were one, my ability to shoot. Uh, so I, I made the effort to concentrate on that, uh, through the summer. Um, and then the other thing was to make sure I was in shape, uh, to, be able to hike, be able to pack, you know, keep up with a guide, uh, you know, that sort of thing. And so, so that became my focus from the time I, I went ahead and hired the outfitter to, to the time I got into the camp. That's such a helpful distinction just to (laughs) narrow down and focus on what are the things I actually control and what are the things I can't control. And you know, it's especially relevant for this guided hunt, but I think it applies to a lot of other contexts of other hunts, even some DIY hunts. It it's just can be so overwhelming to think through all of the things, right? From gear to scouting to physical preparation, et cetera. And a lot of times we have some influence on many things, but I think it's especially helpful to kind of narrow down. And this, again, is going to be different for different hunts, different contexts. But what are the specific things you have the most control or another word would say the most influence over and make sure you're doing as much as you can in those specific things? And then identifying the things you don't have much control or don't have much influence over. It's not to say you don't give them any attention or any effort, but minimal attention or minimal effort just basically making sure that in the overwhelm of planning preparing for hunts that we're actually investing most of our time effort and energy on the things we can actually change and influence yeah and that's and that's kind of the process i had to go through is because i'm used to since i have always done diy hunts and 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 that it's it's always you know, where am I going to go? Do I have enough food? What are we doing for water? You know, when are we leaving? When are we coming home? All those things. And so this time it was, Hey, this is, I thought, Hey, this is going to be easy. All I got to do is keep working out and, and go shoot. Um, it wasn't quite that easy, but, (laughs) but basically those, you know, those two things is what I, what I concentrated on. And, and, uh, and then I guess the other thing I, I did was, you know, I made sure I was, comfortable with my gear that I had the right gear to, you know, to go with that. I was familiar with, you know, the settings on my range finder and just all those things that, you know, you don't want to get into the middle of a hunt and go, you know, what, you know, what's this button for kind of a thing. But, um, so yeah, that, that's, uh, that's how I approached it and it. And I think it served me pretty well. So you say things weren't always easy on this hunt. Take us through the rest of the story. So you show up, six hunters in camp, seeing elk the first day. Two guys kill good bulls the first day. Uh, where does it go from here? Yeah. So uh, of course, uh, I left the day after thank or the day before Thanksgiving. Drove. Uh, we got to camp um, Thanksgiving morning, and I say we because I stopped. Uh, a friend of mine from Montana flew into Salt Lake and I stopped at the airport and picked him up and took him with me, uh, which was, um, which was really fun, really cool, uh, to get, to have the opportunity, opportunity to do that. Um, I, I do have two sons, um, who I offered the opportunity for them to go with me, um, on this hunt, but, 
um, one of them just got married and I knew he wasn't going to be able to take the time off work. Uh, and the other one, uh, his, his wife was due to have a baby, um, a week before this hunt. So I knew that, you know, probably shouldn't be, uh, pushing him to go with me. So, so, uh, fortunately this, this friend of mine from Montana tagged along and, and, uh, so we got in, into camp, uh, day or Thanksgiving morning. Um, they fed us Thanksgiving dinner, kind of talked about opening day, um, opening day came and, and we got the two bulls, like I, like I described. Um, so that night, um, you know, we're feeling pretty good about how this hunt is going and, and, uh, guides are talking about how we're going to be tagged out in three days. And, and of course that was the, not how it went. Um, but next, next, uh, so the morning of the second day we took off and went, uh, went up on top of a knob and when we got there uh in fact before we got there spotted a bull on the side of a hill um probably about 500 yards from the the knob we were headed to uh, got up there glassed him and took a really good look at him he was uh he was a i think a smaller six by six but one side was broken off um so decided pretty quickly that he wasn't what we were looking for uh, or that it wasn't what I was looking for, but um, spent the morning up there uh, and uh, didn't see any more elk that morning uh, left there. Um, I think we went back to camp for a little while that afternoon and then back out later in the afternoon to another spot. Um, spotted some other elk uh, that or some other bulls that afternoon, but they were way far away um could so couldn't make a um any kind of move on any of them and i and if i remember right they were smaller bulls anyway we did spot one that was in a uh position for one of the other guys to to make a play on but they weren't able to get to it um, before things got dark so uh that day i don't think anybody nobody killed a bull that day uh day three came uh and we did not we did not see an elk uh at all that day in fact uh, nobody had uh seen one that day uh one of the hunters and his guide had yet to see an elk the whole trip um at that point uh so i know they were or i'm sure he was getting discouraged um and and, and honestly i was too uh, i you know the highs of the of the first day seeing those or seeing that really good bull and the other the other hunter killing a, a, a second really good bull um and then then by day three you're not seeing any elk it's like well is this a one of those opening day things and it's all done now mm-hmm. uh, and so day four comes and they decided to go back to it close to the area where um where we'd been on the deal on opening day. Um, we, that morning we climbed up, uh, onto a knob and actually split up me and, and the guide went to one spot. Uh, my, my buddy went to another spot and glassed and we were, I don't know, maybe a quarter mile apart or something, not very far. Uh, and started seeing some cows. Uh, and then my buddy, uh, you can use radios in Arizona. So my buddy radioed us that he had, he could, he found four or five bulls about uh, a mile off or two miles off. I don't know. It was a ways. And he was watching them. Uh, and then we got word that one of the other guys had spotted three bulls going into a draw. So we quickly moved um, and moved to a spot where we, we found three or four bulls uh, turned out to be different ones than the, the ones that the, the other guy had said he'd seen um, and watched them go into that same draw. Um, so we moved, got to the head of the draw. Um, at that point, we knew there was probably six or seven bulls in that draw or thought there probably was. And this is about, um, I don't know, nine or 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, we sat on the head of that draw glassing for the rest of the day. Um, Finally, at probably 4.30 in the afternoon, um, 
right below us about 150 yards um saw a bull just saw his back end uh and so i got on him uh couldn't tell what he was finally they picked his his head up enough that we could see his antler tips above the brush and it turned out to be that that palmated bull the one with the caribou like antlers uh but all i could see was hindquarters so um he eventually kind of walked through the walked behind the bush he was he was at and i i moved over waiting for him to come through another opening and when he finally did he came through it quickly i wasn't able to get a shot a shot again um but he he did the same thing stood with his hind end in the open uh and his vitals and and head behind the tree um there was one of the guys in our group was across the canyon and actually could see him uh, had a had a shot on him but was holding off thinking that i was going to be able to get a shot so they they held off about that time the guide uh spotted another bull at the bottom of this can of uh, this draw at about 400 yards uh and so told me where he was i i found him uh waited for him to come out into an opening he stepped out and he was a six point um he wasn't a great big one at this point he you know he, he told me you can and i was set up i was prone i had a i had a good rest um at this point he told me you can take the shot if you want to he's an okay six point but he's not he's not great big well i was i think i kind of got caught up in in the in the emotional part of it i i was not wanting to go home empty-handed uh we'd sat there all day the day before we hadn't seen anything i was kind of i think maybe on one of those low points <laughs> of, mm-hmm. of a hunting trip uh the, the bull stepped out broadside i said okay i'm going to take him about that time he he stepped quartering away um and i i shot at him and i missed um which at the time and then as soon as i missed that one the guy who had the the bull that was right below me um he went ahead and 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 took that bull uh and and got him down with one shot so of course i was i was glad for him i was mad at myself for missing uh pretty disappointed uh uh one because i'd spent so much time trying to get comfortable making that 400 yard shot and and i was i mean i had no doubts in my mind that i could make that shot but um it was it was fairly windy that day um or that afternoon courting quartering away fairly hard i mean i don't want to make excuses it, um, because it's a shot that i should have been able to make but but i missed um turns out that was a blessing in disguise uh, you know now i look back on it and i'm, I'm glad i missed i'm glad i didn't didn't make that shot I, i'm still frustrated with myself that i didn't um but it it turned out for the for the better for me um anyway uh so we went uh everybody that was around kind of gathered around found this bull got him cut up and started packing him out uh we got word that one of the other guys who hadn't tagged out yet uh had also shot a bull that afternoon uh had shot um they thought he was a nine by nine uh they put two shots on him. It uh, got dark before they could go get him. They heard him crash. Uh, I figured they'd just go get him in the morning. Uh, so we all got back to camp that night. Uh, you know, talked about the the day and that. And, and the plan at that point was, you know, we're going to get up uh, the next morning. They were going to send most of, of the guides and anybody available to go track down this other, other bull and get him packed out. And then um, at that point, I was the last guy to tag who hadn't tagged out because the, the sixth hunter in this group, um, only stayed for two and a half days and then left. And he never, he didn't kill a bull. He, for whatever reason he had to go. And so he left. Um, and so there was only when he, by the time he left, there was, there was, I think three of us who hadn't, hadn't gotten a bull yet. So, um, 
so so at that point i was the last one who had not killed a bull yet um they sent the biggest part of the group on to to try to track this bull and get him packed out and then me and my buddy and my guide went off to go you know see if i could find something uh turns out that that bull uh that they'd shot the night before was had not died uh and so they they had kind of a a rodeo getting him tracked and and killed they eventually did it um early in the afternoon and they you know got him packed out and back to camp uh we spent that day and did not again did not see an elk um and so again the emotional one i'd missed a bull the day before and now we're not seeing elk and and so and time's running out because it's only a six seven six or seven day season so you know i'm thinking i'm making this long drive back to idaho without an elk and and that so had you been in a spot like that mentally before oh yeah yeah i'm uh i um I'm one of those guys that it, that it easily, you know, ups and downs. Uh, I, I know that I'm, I'm that guy that if things start looking bad, I could easily talk myself into going home kind of a thing, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? Uh, and I know that about myself, so I guess that's good, but well, yeah, it is good. I think to be self-aware like that. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, uh, uh, and I knew that that's what was going on uh on this hunt i mean i knew that i i needed to 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 think about it i had all these guys that that were going to be able to help me and and that um when they got done what they needed to get done uh so let's see that would bring i think the morning of day six um so the second to the last day of the season uh they had in the process of tracking this bull uh from the night before which did turn out to be a nine by nine he's a younger bull but but was a nine by nine super cool rack um and uh um just a just a neat bull uh um but in the process of tracking that one down they had the other guides had uh seen some other bulls in another area uh, actually talked to somebody who had had seen a pretty good bull in another area. So, so the plan was uh, go to that area with me in the morning. And and I had so me and my buddy, uh, the guide that I'd been hunting with all week, and another guide went. Uh, we all went together, uh, and then other guys kind of spread out in other places looking to see if they could find elk, uh, and all for for my benefit, which was. Now, that's kind of cool having all those people looking for help for you. Uh, yeah. uh, we and that's where we got up on top of this knob, and then there was somebody already there, uh, which was a disappointment at first. But uh, my guide said, "Hey, they're looking for a specific bull. Um, there's more than that bull out here. If they spot that bull and go to make a play on him, we're not." We're not competing with them, which, you know, I was really glad to hear. Uh, he said, but if we see something else, um, we may make a, we, it'll be up to you whether or not you want to make a play on it. So, um, uh, so it was a little, it was a little weird being up there with somebody else, but, uh, I didn't feel like, like we were really competing, uh, or in each other's way. And, and they were pretty good about it. And I think we were pretty good about it. So, uh, so we, we spot, uh, or the guide spotted three or four bulls, you know, within probably an hour of being up there. Uh, they, none of them were the bull that this other hunter and his guide were looking for. Um, they, they watched, um, or we watched, I, I never actually saw them, but, but the two guides and my buddy had spotted them, watched where they went didn't think they'd come out um but but sat watched for a couple hours probably that morning maybe it wasn't that long but um sat there a while finally the guy came to me and he said hey these bulls are are still in there 
we can sit up here all day long and wait for them. We can go to another spot, try to find some other bulls, or we can, we can go down in there and try to make a play on them. He said, it, it may work. It may not. And, and at that point I was ready to, to try something, you know? So, so I agreed to say that let's go after him. Um, so we left, uh, the other guide and my buddy up there on that knob, uh, and he and I hiked back down to the truck, uh, drove around to get closer, uh, parked the truck and got out. And, and he said, you know, if, if they're here, they're, they're 150 yards that way. Uh, I kind of pointed off one direction. So, so we, we took off just kind of still hunting, I guess, for lack of a better explanation. Uh, and, uh, then all of a sudden he, he said, here they come. And, and said, take the biggest one or take whichever one you want. And, uh, the first one came out, uh, from behind a juniper tree. Uh, and I, and I had gotten down on my knee, uh, I put a shell in, into the chamber and the second one came out and I could tell there was a third one behind him, but of the two that were standing there and they were standing there broadside, the second one was the bigger one. Um, so I just pulled up and shot him. Uh, he went down. I, I immediately went, you know, got ready to take another shot, but he went down behind a tree and I, I could see him kicking, but I couldn't get a second shot in him uh, because the tree was in the way. Uh, I moved kind of to my right to try to get around that tree. And, and the guide said, he's up and running. And I thought immediately, you know, going through my head is, Oh my God, here we go again. Just like this one, the nine by nine from the day before we're going to spend you know, all day trying to find him. Um, but he did go down right away again. And I, I put a second shot in him. Uh, and, and that was it. Uh, he, he died right there within about 15 yards of where I, I shot him the first time. Um, turned out to be about a 60 yard shot, uh, wow. which was not, <laughs> not what I expected at all going into this. Um, you know, obviously had been planning on, on much longer shots, but, but, uh, but at that point I, you know, I was, I was happy to, to take what I got and, uh, uh, turned out to be a pretty good bull. He was not, uh, he was smaller than, than, uh, the other bulls, uh, killed in camp during the week, um, which didn't matter to me. I mean, I, I, what I, I, uh, he basically met what I had gone, you know, expecting to get or hoping to get, I, I shouldn't say expect because um, I, I didn't expect to do anything, but, um, uh, but the way it came together uh, and, and that, you know, I was pretty happy with, uh, uh, we were able to get the truck really close to him. Uh, I, we got him taken care of and, and loaded in the pickup. I, I never had to, uh, put a quarter on my pack or anything, uh, you know, it was, it was close enough just to kind of throw it on your shoulder and, and, uh, put, and put the meat in the back of the truck. So, yeah. uh, so that, that XO pack that I bought a year ago, <laughs> I still have, I still have not gotten to, to pack any meat out on, but, but, uh, uh well, it is ready when you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, I spent I spent quite a bit of time with it this summer doing some backpacking and stuff. So I have packed some weight in it. Just none of it's been yet. Um, but uh, uh, so yeah, so we uh, we were able to got him back to camp by by I think noon that that day. Uh, my buddy and I kind of cleaned up our stuff, got him uh, got him taken care of, and and uh, kind of got our things organized and and headed home. So. On this side, sitting here now, removed from, you know, we can armchair quarterback, right? Perspective. Are you glad that you had to go through the ups and downs and that the hunt, you know, went several days and you just didn't show up and shoot a bowl the first day? Yeah, I am. I am now. Uh, I was so uh, anxious and nervous going into this that I really wanted to be in my mind. I was thinking if I could kill a bull opening day uh, and then I'll just hang out and hunt with these other guys. Cause 
you know, when that happens then the pressure's off you, you know, you get to enjoy the hunt without being the one who has to worry about making the shot and, and all that stuff. And, and that's when we hunt here at home, a lot of times that's, you know, what we do either you tag out um, and it's the next guy's turn and you get to be with them, or maybe you don't even have a tag, you know, you're just going along to, to uh, be a part of somebody else's hunt. And, 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 and I do that frequently with my, with my sons, you know, they'll, they'll have a tag or draw a special tag or something and I'll go along with them. And, and to me, that's as much fun as, as being the hunter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so going into it, yeah, I, I was thinking I wanted to be one of the first and be done looking back on it. Now I'm, I'm glad it went down like it did. Um, and I think it also kind of reaffirmed in my mind in a hunt, there's always those, almost always those ups and downs and you gotta, you gotta fight through them. Um, and, you know, keep being positive and, and keep working. And, and I did have to work. I did have to work for this, this bull. I mean, I, we did a lot of walking, a lot of glassing, a lot of sitting down there in the wind. Uh, um, I mean, it, it was not a, it was not a, a slam dunk. Um, you know, I, I, I'm really happy for the two guys that killed bulls on, on opening day. Um, they got nice bulls and, and, uh, but I, but I wouldn't necessarily trade places with either one of them mm-hmm. at this at this point. Yeah. On day, on about day four or five of the hunt. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, not, but not at this point. You know, I went on that mountain goat hunt, which is the only guided hunt I've ever done. And, uh, I'm sure many people listening may have heard the story, but it came down to like literally the ninth day, like bottom of the ninth type situation and, and killed a Billy after a lot of ups and downs in a long week. Yeah. I listened to the podcast. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I texted my guide, Mark, uh, I don't know if it was, you know, a week later or whatever it was, but I, I checked in with them and was like, Hey man, how did your next clients go? Cause we were talking about it. And right as I was leaving, he had two hunters coming in. Uh-huh. Um, and so he texted me back and I was like, oh, it was, you know, it was a good hunt. Uh, they both tagged out the first day and sent me a picture <laughs> and they both killed Billy's bigger than mine. Yeah. And so my first thing was like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> yeah. And I, but then I was like, you know what? I'm glad again, like if that would have happened on my hunt, I'm sure I would have been happy. But if you would have said you could trade places like you could trade experiences you could have gone up there and killed a bigger goat on day one none of me would want to make that trade uh you know the ups and downs and the time it that's what made the experience for me anyway uh but as you said like on day four day five day six day seven when things aren't going your way of course you're just like oh man like i mean kind of similar on my hunt i somewhat past a goat the very first day and you know on day six day seven i'm like oh that was stupid why did i do that (laughs) Uh, yeah exactly but yeah when it works out and you have a lot of the ups and downs it just makes it that much more special yeah and i uh, the other thing uh about spending all that time before i finally was successful um i i learned a lot i I mean Mm -hmm. i learned a lot more about about glassing and spotting and and the patience it takes to do some of that stuff and 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 none of that's really new to me um but that was six more days of elk hunting experience that that i get to add to my you know yeah that's a great great point and 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 again those guys that that killed first day i you know um i guess they they missed out on that but but uh, not to take anything away from them because because uh, um, they did a great job too, um, and and I'm sure their experience. I mean, they're they're loving it. They're yeah. they're loving their own personal experience too. So yep. I don't uh, I don't mean to take anything away from anybody. But uh, oh, it's just about being grateful for the experience that you get, whatever that looks like. Yeah, yeah, and I, I do it. You know, I listen to the 
the the story about your your goat hunt and i remember thinking man how 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 was he feeling <laughs> as that hunt got to the end because because i know where i'd have been <laughs> i'd have been i'd have been pretty down in the dumps yeah uh, but uh but anyway it you know overall the the guided hunt i i would i would definitely do it again um, it's probably not something that that's in the cards for me certainly not every year um and i do enjoy the you know the do-it-yourself stuff um uh but i after doing it i think i would uh you know i i i'd do it again i've done a lot of uh um, guided fishing trips um and so i don't know why the guided hunting trip um seemed so foreign i guess or like not i don't know i guess you know guys a lot of guys look at guided hunts and say oh i, you know, I don't need to do that i i don't uh uh, I can do it on my own. And, and, uh, so maybe I fell into that trap a little bit, but, but, uh, it was, it was a good experience. I, I, uh, I would recommend it to anybody that could, could make it happen. Mm. If this is a, again, like we, we can only make assumptions and best guesses and anything can happen, but if you would have went on this exact hunt, completely on your own now having seen what you saw of the country the area the number of elk etc and and the hunting strategy with the guides do you feel like you would have had a decent chance of being successful if you were on your own and just had to figure everything out and it was just say you and a buddy uh no i don't think that that the opportunity to be successful would have been nearly what it was um I think the the success rate in that area historically is around 30%. Um, I think, you know, we drove by a lot of camps um, and did not see very many elk hanging. Um, we did run into one guy um, one evening who was, who was, had just killed an elk. Uh, we certainly heard other shooting in that, but um basically five out of the six guys in our camp killed an elk. And, and I don't really count that, that sixth guy. Cause I don't think two and a half days of trying is, I don't think that's fair to, to put that on the outfitter as they didn't, you know, that they mm -hmm. did, they weren't, weren't successful because, because the outfitter or, or whatever, because I don't think that guy for whatever reason was able to put the, the effort into it that he could have. Yeah. Um, so I, I look at it as we were five for five. Um, so we we're a hundred percent. I imagine other outfitters in the area are, you know, kind of the same way. So when you start looking at that, then the, the do-it-yourselfers, I mean, they're probably going to be in that 10% range or, or less. And and coming from out of state, I think we'd have been even, you know, even at more of a dis disadvantage. Um, and that country down there, when I started e-scouting it, um, I didn't realize how thick and nasty it really is. Um, there, every plant that grows down there wants to stick you, hook you, stab you. I mean, it's, it's rough. Um, I, I got my introduction to hunting in cactus on day one. Uh, um, you know, you brush up against a cactus and those, those little cactus spines stick into your clothes and, you can't pull them out because they, they just keep working their way in and pretty soon they're underneath your clothes, you know, poking you. Um, and then just all the other cat's claw and all the other manzanita and everything else that just is nasty. And then everything was rocks. Um, I don't think there's any dirt down there. It's all rocks. Uh, and that was, it was hard to walk on, um, hard, hard on boots and, and everything else so so it's it's rough country um and and i hunt some rough country here at home but it was it was much rougher than i expected so so yeah i i think bottom line is is the is hiring the guide um contributed to to success in a big way awesome well i think uh this is valuable i mean 
as you probably know, we, we, Steve and I personally haven't done a lot of guided hunts and we don't frequently necessarily talk about that with guests or stories. We do some, as you've mentioned, like those episodes with Colton and that. And, um, yeah, to, to me, it's interesting how some hunters, you know, completely write off any guided hunting opportunity and it's all about DIY, et cetera, et cetera. And obviously that's, that's who we are personally um, and primarily, but uh, I love sharing the experience about a hunter like yourself who do, you know, you do have some hunting skills and capabilities and history yet at times, maybe it makes sense to go guided. Um, so I just like, you know, adding some story and perspective to that and thanks for helping us do it. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm glad to do it. Um, I appreciate you letting me tell my story. Well, that wraps up this story. Congrats again to Brent, and thank you for sharing that story with us. Listeners, as always, thank you for tuning in. If you haven't yet hit that subscribe or follow button in your podcast app, do that now so that you receive future episodes automatically. And also, if you're enjoying the show, it helps us tremendously. If you just share it with a friend, leave a rating or review, or do anything like that. We don't have any advertisers or sponsors. Um, we don't advertise the show, etc. So, Really, the the ROI, the benefit for us doing the show is, yes, number one, we enjoy it, but two, it has to make sense and grow, and it thankfully has done that because of you guys. So thank you if you've already left a review or rating, but if you haven't yet, please consider doing that. We would truly appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon.